I'm Chris Chang in Phillips, Edmonton's Historian Laureate, and this is Let's Find Out, a monthly podcast about the history of Edmonton, Alberta, or Amiskwichi Waskahikan, on Treaty 6 territory. Each episode, I find people with questions about local history, and then we find out the answers together. And this month, I have something a little different for you. It's a one-off podcast that I did in June 2016 to capture a little taste of the 2016 Edmonton Chinatown Conference. I called it the Talking Teacup. I'm sharing it with you now for a couple reasons. First, I've been waiting for a chance to share it with a bigger audience. And also, I've got a couple cases that need a bit more cooking, including a live event. We're going to be doing a Let's Find Out live event soon. So keep an ear out for that. And lastly, this weekend is the beginning of Chinese New Year. Xin Nian Kuai Le. Happy Year of the Rooster. Or Happy Lunar New Year if you celebrate one of the many other iterations of the holiday. So I thought it'd be timely to share some stories of the Chinese community right here in our city. All right, without further ado, here is the Talking Teacup. Hello, uh, welcome to the Edmonton Chinatown Conference 2016. Hi everybody, 大家好. I'm Chris Chang and Phillips, Edmonton's Historian Laureate, and this is a special podcast bringing you a little taste of the 2016 Edmonton Chinatown Conference. Such a cool event. It ran from June 11th to 12th, 2016 at the University of Alberta. And it was this outstanding gathering of city planners, business people, history nerds, young artists, and folks from Chinatown and other cities. And just generally Edmontonians with a strong bond to Chinatown here. The idea was to get everybody together to learn more about Chinatown's cultural and historical roots and do some visioning about its future. There were walking tours, panels on design and history, film screening. I left really hopeful about what Edmonton's Chinatown could become and how many people are invested in it. You know, I think about half the people I met there were younger than 30. The history of Edmonton's Chinatown is really the history of a people who have been pushed down over and over and over by governments and just refused to stay down. There's been a Chinese community in Edmonton since the late 1800s, but it was only men for a long time because the federal government in Canada kept Chinese women from immigrating. There was the head tax, the Chinese Exclusion Act. In 1967, the federal government pushed a lot of the important businesses out of the heart of Chinatown, Jasper Ave and 97th Street, to make way for Canada Place, that shiny red glass building with the Service Canada offices. And some people would say the municipal government is keeping up that tradition by putting the LRT down 102nd Avenue, which may cause a lot of headaches for seniors who are trying to cross the street there, and is also forcing the removal of the Harbin Gate. You've probably seen it before. It's the strongest visual marker of where Chinatown is. But man, Chinese people are resilient. They have fundraised to build seniors' housing and clan associations, and did you know there's a Chinatown library? I was really honored to be asked to help capture this latest chapter in that history. So I humbly submit, for your listening pleasure, this sample of what the Chinatown conference was like. Let's start off by walking through the halls of the U of A's education building to a classroom where about 30 people push their desks together in a circle to share their stories about their connection to Chinatown. Alan Kwan has the floor because he's holding the tiny blue and white porcelain talking teacup. The, um, uh, 
because of my involvement in Chinatown, so sometimes one time my wife said to me that, gee, you love Chinatown more than you love me. I still love you more than West Hampton Mall. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, my parents, uh, you know, and the whole family, we immigrated to Canada in 1967 after a short stay in Madison. And uh, my father uh, moved to Edmonton because he was a tailor, and so, you know, Madison had to be a small city, really not much, uh, too many job openings for a tailor. Uh, so we came to Edmonton, and uh, we, my grandfather said, well, we have, my last name's Kwan, so I, he said, oh, there's a, a relative acquaintance by the last name of Kwan, go see him, and he'll help you to find a job, and he did. So from there, we moved to Edmonton, uh, 1967, and, uh, and the first piece, place we stayed at is uh, in Chinatown. Uh, we rented uh, three rooms in a kind of a, a house, and that's our first home in Canada. Uh, so we, I spent uh, the first uh, year in Chinatown, and I found it uh, quite, quite an interesting experience because uh, being new immigrants and don't speak much English, uh, but uh, the Chinese community uh, families they're so uh, so helpful, uh, such uh, so supporting, because uh, we would go to their house for dinners and they would you know. Uh, welcome us and all that. Uh, so whatever we, our family need help or whatever, uh, there's always people helping us. So uh, that uh, kind of uh, gave me a very good impression of Chinatown as a community of support. Um, <coughs> my name is Philip. I'm a first-generation immigrant. However, my family has been here since June 5th, 1914. Both my great-grandfathers were pioneers in Canada. And, uh, both of them uh, spent their adult lives alone for more than 30 years because the wives and the kids weren't allowed into Canada. Um, both of them paid head tax. What does China tell me to me and my family? Well, first of all, China is a sense of home. It's a sense of, uh, it's a place of sadness and also a place of happiness for today's generation. So, um, my earliest memory of Chinatown was uh, in 1982. My grandma uh, harvested the vegetables, like I learned about quite from the garden, and she boxed them all up, four boxes, I carried two, she carried two, we got the ETS bus from the West End and took it downtown and sold it to a Chinese restaurant. Mm -hmm. That was my earliest memory of Chinatown. So it was a, it's a happy time in her home, and also uh, it was a, a very sad place for my great-grandfather's generation. One theme I noticed a lot was first-generation immigrants seeing Chinatown as this safe harbor and place of welcoming, and their descendants seeing Chinatown as a place to keep in touch with their heritage, but on more of a special occasion basis. Like Jessica Louie, who has a lot of festival time associations with Chinatown. My name is Jessica Louie. I'm from Edmonton. My dad is third-generation immigrant, so I'm first-generation-born Canadian. I was born in Red Deer. So if you guys don't know, it's a city between Calgary and Edmonton, an hour and a half between both cities. And so growing up, Chinatown to me meant like family trips because Red Deer doesn't have a Chinatown. And um, it would be like, we would go visit Chinatown once every couple of months with my grandmother and my entire family. And it was like all about shopping, buying like roast pork, uh, vegetables, going for dim sum. And even like, getting a Chinese newspaper was like a treat because 
you would not get that in Red Deer. And so I remember my grandma would like do a ton of shopping, uh, getting stuff even for her family in Red Deer, like other relatives in Red Deer. And uh, whenever we had like a festival they celebrate, like Chinese New Year, it would be like big shopping trip in Calgary, Gra gather all your uh, supplies or whatever you need from Calgary and just bring it back to Red Deer. So it definitely was um, lots of memories growing up with Calgary Chinatown. And so, and what it means to me now is it's definitely a place of like nostalgia. I haven't been to Cal, I haven't been back to Calgary Chinatown for a very long time. But I think going back and just seeing all the little shops and stores that we took a grandma to would bring back lots of memories. And it's definitely a place of identity and memories. Since Jessica was one of those young voices that seemed to be longing for Chinatown to become something more at the conference, I asked her to walk me through the Chinatown of her dreams. Okay, walk me through your dream block of Chinatown. What are you walking past? What are you stopping in at? I would really love to have like a focal point, like a community center with uh, like a library and places where immigrants can learn to use a computer or learn English language and even like older seniors to develop new skills in crafts or cooking, just a gathering place for Chinese or immigrants to come together. And I think having that focal point or that anchor in Chinatown will draw a lot of like attention for people to go to. Like I think we're just missing that like focal point, that piece that will draw people together because we do have like restaurants and stuff and like uh, medicine herbs shops and things like that, but I think they're kind of a bit scattered, especially since there's also like the old Chinatown and the north or the new Chinatown. And I think better connectivity and having like a node to draw people in would definitely be a great place for Chinatown in the future. Another theme I noticed throughout the day was a lot of people searching for ways to connect with each other searching even for ways to connect with the people in the same room. At lunchtime, we all filed upstairs to a big sunny lounge to grab sandwiches and fruit. And I noticed that most tables were segregated by age and language. Older people were sitting with each other for the most part, and I overheard snippets of conversations in Cantonese. Younger people were mostly sitting at their own tables, speaking English. I was lucky enough to squeeze into one of the older people tables and get introduced to Helen Kwan Yi Chung, who wrote a history of the Cantonese opera community in Edmonton, which has been around for more than 100 years. Wow. And then I got to flit off and join a table of people my own age. But I noticed that dynamic of people unintentionally being in their own solitudes, even in the workshops, like in the breakout session, where a group of us talked about cultural identity, history, and storytelling. Um, Mr. Fong, only three months ago, he went to the nursing home. So his son donated 11 boxes of books. Jiang Li Liju, who helps run the Edmonton Chinatown Chinese Library, mentioned that the library needs help figuring out what books to keep, partly because their space is so limited, and they don't have paid staff, just volunteers. So his son donated 11 boxes of books. Again, our librarian said, this book, no use. Nobody will read, or whatever. And fortunately, me and another person, she knows, oh, this kind of book. Most of them are from Taiwan. Even Chinese, they don't publish this anymore. So I put them in one dedicated one shelf, only keep his book. 
but we need knowledge how to judge these folks. In, in uh, um, the six boxes, those are uh, Xinjiang Street, very old books. Date uh, back to Qing Dynasty or, or whatever. This, this printing uh, <coughs> not exist anymore. So should I bring to <laughs> Toronto Archive or Edmonton Archive or safe in Edmonton, in our library. Then this book cannot be read by people, otherwise they will break easy. So I keep them in one small glass or just for display. So Jiang Li, Li Ju identified kind of three overlapping issues. They need help judging the value of book donations because some of them are worth a lot. They don't have space to keep everything, and some of the books they do have are too delicate to lend out. Well, lo and behold, right there sitting in that circle was someone with grant money to give away to solve two of those issues. The conversation moved in that direction when someone raised the word digitization. Uh, the University, I mean, the Museum of, of Americans and Chinese in America and New York, basically, that's their whole strategy is, I mean, and they, they kind of really worked through that, and they're actually digitized. They have their digitized libraries, very, very extensive, it's online. But who can afford this uh, budget? Uh, but this is why I'm holding the company, <laughs> because digitizing archives is, a, is a, an activity that's, that's, as they say, grantable. Candace Jane Dorsey is on the board of the Edmonton Heritage Council, one of my position's parent organizations, by the way. And the EHC actually has a grant program that can pay to digitize their collection so they can save physical space and also let people read some of these more fragile books in their collection. So that was pretty amazing. One person in a room looking for help, another in the same room with the tools for help. This seems to be a common theme for Edmonton's Chinatown. We need to build better bridges between the resources and the people who need them to keep this history and culture alive. That was one of the points that Catherine Lennon brought up at the end of the weekend, when representatives from each of those breakout sessions we've been listening to reported back to the big group. One discussion that came up was uh, especially the role of performance arts and especially um, Kung Fu and then, you know, uh, succession of these traditional arts that we really think of as integral to Chinatown. So we had a discussion about, um, you know, common cultural center space for arts, opera, Kung Fu, and we already do have those types of spaces in a lot of our Chinatowns. Vancouver uh, is a cultural center, we have a cultural center, so maybe the question is why it's, what's not working? Why are we not able to get the mix of activities um, that, that maybe can, can uh, really bring life to the neighborhood? Um, and so I think something we talked a lot about was kind of the intergenerational, the need to bridge generations, uh, to bridge the gaps between young and old, um, and to, uh, I guess, attract new audience, but also make sure we're sustaining and supporting um, some of the more traditional uh, expressions of culture and art. Um, so, a few of the ideas we had and tools we talked about, um, we talked about um, really just, I mean, starting with what you have, using what you have, um, whether it's existing facilities and just like, a, maybe in some of the examples in Vancouver, using existing um, buildings, maybe clan associations, and, and having landlords that support um, cultural producers with maybe uh, lower rent or good leases. As Stephanie Ma and Sharon Yeo explained, other groups talked about how to make Chinatown more of a destination rather than a pit stop for groceries before you spend the rest of your day somewhere more fun. The Chinatown area, they, 
there are some negative perceptions to the area. Um, there's negative stigma to the area and um, reputation that um, may um, limit uh, businesses coming to that area. Um, as well as we talked a lot about uh, burdening social services in that area and how that um, may has the perception of decreasing the safety and security in that area. Um, so the other piece that we, we talked about was uh, just um, yeah. was uh, just an overall discussion on what might it take to attract um, more tra foot traffic and more um, more dollars into the community and uh, the reasons why people go to Chinatown to begin with. So there was a lot of discussion around the need for general services for your daily life. Otherwise, it just becomes an occasional destination and not necessarily a place you frequent often. So we talked a lot about food, of course, restaurants and uh, groceries at grocery stores. But we also talked about unique experiences. So um, there were comments about uh, it, it's it's more likely that you go to Chinatown if there are multiple reasons for you to go instead of a single reason for you to go. So multiple trips uh, to different shops and also events. So um, you know there are some unique events that only take place in Chinatown. Um, and there was a comment about how you know traffic in some Chinatowns are really high around Chinese New Year, for instance. But how can we redistribute that so that's more consistent throughout the year and not just concentrated around special events? Um, there was also some discussion around um, around food that you know some specialty products are only available in Chinatown, so people will go there for those. Um, textiles, that kind of thing, uh, some food products, of course, um, and professional services. So again, kind of thinking holistically outside of just uh, food and hospitality, there are some language-specific professional services that some Chinatowns have, like accounting or um, uh, health services and that kind of thing. And some of it definitely is language-specific, but um, again, you know, we kind of had a conversation on which languages, which communities are we serving? Is it broader than just the Chinese community that uh, that would help kind of draw people there on a, on a more frequent basis. Um, we talked about the ways that buildings can engage with the streets, so um, making sure that windows are open and transparent when we see activity inside, um, making sure that activity spills onto the streets. That's very uh, Chinatown, and uh, if anybody's you know been on the streets in in a bustling place in China or Hong Kong, you see everything spilled onto the street, right? Um, and in different contexts that can, that can look different. Uh, using public plazas to have gathering spaces. In Edmonton, I know that you have so many parking lots and you're sort of like hoping that, you know, development will happen in those spaces and it feels um, very distant and empty when you're on the scale of the street is quite large. And in Vancouver and Calgary, it's quite dense. And we, we are defending the small plots of land that we have left. Um, so I would just say, in Edmonton, you have so much opportunity to take the time to be community visioning. And it's, it's so exciting. So one really nice asset that I had going into this conference was I put out a question to a Facebook group about what people might be interested in learning about Edmonton's Chinatowns that I might be able to help relay. Uh, that was the Historical Edmonton and Northern Alberta group. And we got some great questions, some of which I've tried to incorporate into this episode. but. Uh, 
there were two that uh, didn't come up organically, so I have uh, grabbed Lanchan Marples, uh, one of the organizers of the conference, to ask if she has some answers that she can convey to our audience. Oh, uh, my name is Lanchan Marples. I am the chair of the, uh, the conference planning committee. And first question, what has helped sustain Chinatown through generations of good times and bad times? Because not all cultural communities have done as well in keeping a cohesive and resilient community together over the generations. It's through internal resources. People, uh, if you're looking at uh, historically, the Chinese uh, has always been very self-sufficient. Um, they weren't able to access uh, grants in, in the early days. So they have to pull their own money together um, to able to help um, others in the community. And even you're looking at the building projects that we have started, like the multicultural center, um, the Toysan uh, buildings, association buildings, the Ma Association building, there really is the membership uh, who put in the money to purchase, first of all, the, the land and the building where the, uh, in which the building stood on, and then to build new buildings on top of it. So that's what sustained Chinatown in that sense. It's, it's this whole um, self-reliance, um, resilience as well, too, of the people. Uh, another question from Facebook um, was, um, Dr. Brian Evans was doing some research on Edmonton's Chinatown um, before he passed away recently. Um, people are curious, what's going to happen next with the research that he did? Uh, that I can't really say. Um, I think that uh, we do know uh, his partner, Patricia, quite well. I mean, that would be something we could ask her to see if uh, if he had indicated anything about his research. Maybe somebody at the university's already passed it on to somebody at the university. Thank you so much, Lan. Okay, thanks, Chris. My favorite part of this event was the fact that the organizers thought of creative ways to use art to capture the spirit of the conference. Three artists made murals slash kind of illustrations depicting the conversations, the memories, and the vision for what Chinatown could become that people were talking about. This was an amazing weekend. There were so many ideas that I couldn't fit into this little podcast. Ideas like just publicly taking up more space, moving all those seniors' games of mahjong out onto the streets, conversations about how to connect the north and south parts of Chinatown better, what to do about the old CN Rail Bridge. The message that shouted at me was that Chinatown is really alive in Edmonton, and people care about it a lot. And that's not just old folks and new immigrants. Young people who grew up in Canada have a lot of dreams for what Chinatown can become, too. It seems like what we need most in Edmonton are more chances to get together and collaborate on this vision. Maybe over hot pot or mahjong. So that's all for now. Thank you for listening. Thank you to the Chinese Benevolent Association for hosting this podcast. Thanks to Catherine Lennon for inviting me to participate and to Lan Chan Marbles and all the other organizers and participants who took the time to talk to me. Music for this episode was by Ivan Chu. Hope you enjoyed that special little extra, the talking teacup. You can drop me a line at chris at letsfindoutpodcast.com if you want to get in touch. You can listen to the rest of our episodes, well, pretty much everywhere you can find podcasts now, and on our website, letsfindoutpodcast.com. 
Oh, I have a small update for you on the clan query story. Unfortunately, due to other commitments, Rebecca Jade has decided not to present her idea for a plaque at the site where the Liberator used to be published. That was the Ku Klux Klan's newspaper in the 1930s here in Edmonton. I appreciate Rebecca letting me share her story and let's find out though. And I appreciate all of you out there who've participated in this conversation around both the idea and Edmonton's brutal history of white supremacy in general. I'm still getting folks emailing me with newspaper articles and other documents they found, piecing together the waves of white supremacy and resistance to it. And I'll try to keep sharing those as they come in. Good news though, February is Black History Month and there are lots of opportunities coming up to learn about the contributions that Black Albertans have made to our province. Bashir Mohammed from the Trustee Enigma is facilitating a discussion about some of these extraordinary folks at Masawa Cafe and Bistro on the evening of February 10th. I've got links to some of those events on the Facebook page for Edmonton's Historian Laureate. Thanks to the Edmonton Historical Board and the Edmonton Heritage Council for supporting Let's Find Out, and to everyone who's been supporting it, especially Finn, Original music for this podcast is by the really lovely human being, Doug Hoyer. Artwork for our logo by Andrea Hergy at Mount Pioneer Design. All right, that's it for this month. I'm Chris Chang and Phillips. Until next time, keep your questions coming.